All right, let's make this a um, a nice and easy one. You know, straight over the line, uh, straight over home base. Uh, just take the plane into the landing, and uh, you know, don't forget to party. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> Are you having a claw? Yeah, well, I feel like I always have a you know a, a nice relaxing beverage. Yeah. When we record. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, let's fucking party. Okay. Welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about partying. I'm Chris Wade. I'm Molly O'Party. And introducing Partying Hard, it's Andrew W.K. This week we're talking about the enigmatic evangelist of partying who unleashed a torrent of hard-rocking power-pop party anthems, became a national celebrity, spokesman, motivational speaker, and TV personality before sinking somewhat back into mysterious obscurity. And today we'll be exploring WK's work through Philip Crandall's 2014 entry into the 33 and a third book anthology for I Get Wet. I Get Wet. I Get Wet. It's our first 33 and a third book, and we've been doing this for like over three years. I I admire our restraint not diving into those because we could just do a whole podcast series about those and it would be pretty easy. Oh, man. I mean, I wonder if that. I mean, they sh- they should do that they if sh- they uh, happen. Yeah, they should do it. So if anyone from that imprint is is a uh, listening, I, free business idea for you. Well, honestly, funny funny you should ask because I I should have these people's email somewhere because back in my slate days, I worked on a short on a short lived video series that I don't think ever saw the light of day. Classic. Uh, <laughs> because my old boss, who uh, I hated and ended up firing me, um didn't believe in its its viral video potential and instead wanted me to make videos about like cute dogs and shit. Oh girl. Uh but Cla- classic funny, web video. Funny mess. you should mention this because when the I get wet video or 33 and a third book came out, mm-hmm. I shot an interview with Andrew WK. Oh wow. No kidding. Yes. Uh I shot him at the old uh the People's Improv Theater uh up on 23 3rd Street or Something like that, and maybe thirty-three and a third street. I forget where the the pit is. I think there is a thirty-three and a third street. Um, but there's a thirty-six and a half street. Uh, it was a nice interview. He is a, as weird a guy in person as you would expect, and he showed up to the interview wearing his his trademark white on white, mm-hmm. but also a giant fur coat over it, and then handed me and the other shooter uh, a bouquet of roses <laughs> as a as a uh, a goodwill gesture that he said he found on top of a trash can on the way to the venue. That is, that's a, a, a poetic act. And also, I couldn't imagine a more Andrew WK. Here's, here are, hey dudes, good vibes. Here are some trash roses I found. Yeah, seriously. I'm, re- I'm reading um, uh, Jodorowsky's uh, Psychomagic, which is all about like you. Uh, you are? It, yeah. <laughs> In very slow bursts when I'm not reading this crap um and these lovely books about these, music. these beautiful books about music no i'm just being i'm being um uh, fake rude fake rude fake rude but um the uh, psychomagic is about uh basically do creating like symbolic acts in person to then influence your subconscious rather than have like shit that comes from your subconscious influence your life that's magic baby that's magic and so like i think that andrew wk like giving you trash roses sounds sounds like a psychomagic act uh did you did anything like good or cool happen to you sir psychomagic sexy uh well you know that was kind of like the first moment of a long cascading precipitous series of events that 
led to me getting fired from Slate. And uh, then eventually, uh, after years of struggle, landing <laughs> at a good place. All right. Interesting. Yeah. We can we can analyze this. Yes. Off mic. Off mic. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> or on mic. I mean, what a podcast for? What, this is this is what this is what we're here for. P- baby. This is what the people come for. Yeah, is, the, is that peek peek into the personal. This is what lives. pod is all about. Really, the the con- the talking about books about music is 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 but a conduit to provide uh, a, a lattice for our relationship to express itself through. Sure. In words. Yeah. A marriage books. is like a podcast. A marriage is like a podcast. Just a long one. <laughs> one really really, really long, really long podcast. podcast. Anyway, what are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about Andrew WK. Yay. What do you know about Andrew WK? This is also, oh, by the way, this is definitely, we got at least two emails of people asking us to cover Andrew WK. So I just want to say that we're doing this for gestures uh, vaguely into the air. Y'all. Y'all. This is this one's this one's for the boys. And uh, <laughs> and more evidence that if you email us and ask us to do something, there is close to a hundred percent chance that we will eventually do it. Just ask nicely. Um yeah, and o- again, only send one email. <laughs> if, That's all it takes. If we do not respond to that one email, do not send another. <laughs> that is a blanket rule. If you send more than one email before we have responded to conduct. the first, you will be blocked. Sure. Anyway, Andrew WK, I mean I kind of remember him like emerging from that New York indie scene, mm-hmm. but, but like as a supernova, like, mm-hmm. like, oh, all of a sudden this guy is going to be everywhere. Yeah. And like a huge, huge star. But also, you know, if you weren't totally paying attention to it, you're, it he's one of those guys who was like, was this guy famous before? Like, yeah. Was he like a guy in, from a band in the 90s and this is like his first solo album? Or is this like. Like what? Why is he so fully formed and suddenly so popular? Yeah, and like, is this like an adaptation of a previous property? Was this like a comic book before it was a band? You know, it, <laughs> that is definitely the vibe of of Andrew WK. But then, who like, o- who owns this IP? Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll get into that. Uh, but but then, like you know, for like two summers there, back at the end of the aughts. Uh, you know, or or two years there, you know, everybody would like put on the obligatory like uh party hard during the middle mm-hmm. of a party, and everybody would like headbang for one song, and then you'd go back to listening to like T Pain or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then he was a huge star for like three or four years, and like it eventually hosted a show on Nickelodeon and all all that kind of shit, and yeah. then he like disappeared. Yeah, and he's then been, he's people been were back. like, Wait, "Is this guy an op?" And then he disappeared. Yeah. And he he released an album two years ago. I don't I don't remember it making like huge. I feel like at this point he's in his career. It's like if you're a fan, you're a fan. If if not, like mm. tough tough noogies. Yeah, is that a thing that people say? It's a thing that I say. It's a thing that people have said. Um, the, yeah, the I he op, he occupies a weird place in my memory too because I remember being aware of him and I was, but it was a little bit before. I, I don't know, but by, by the time I was aware of him as like a New York thing, I think his, his star had already kind of not faded, but uh, it, I was aware of like the imagery of him, but I wasn't really sure like where it came from or where it was going. Like I was aware of his, you know, like the all white outfit and the bloody nose. Like yeah. I feel like that was a the I Get Wet cover was very right. iconic. Instantly iconic. Um, And I, I knew of him through the like motivational speaking or like the fact that kind of as soon as he became a famous musician he was also like his thing was being a sort of yeah, uh, like a philosophy. Tony Robbins yeah a philo- yeah exactly like a philosophy music guy there, he was a there was an ideology yeah i am um, 
like I was, I was aware of his Twitter presence. He was I, kind of like an early Twitter famer because he was, he did party tips. Yes. Do you remember that? I do remember the party tips. I used to listen to, uh, or I used to watch vlogs of this guy who is now just like extremely deeply canceled. Back when I was into alt-lit shit, there was a poet named Steve Roggenbuck and who, Steve Roggenbuck was definitely, now I realize, like in the same mold as Andrew W.K. of mm-hmm. like, you know, just encouraging people to like be positive and like boost. That was his thing was like, don't bring people down like you got to boost them. Mm-hmm. Um, he did some uh, bad. I think there was some uh, uh, un- unlawful sexual shit. So he's uh, fully canceled. But I that that kind of mode of being on the Internet of being what I think uh, your your colleague Felix Biederman would call psychotic positive. The cult, yeah. cult of psychotic, psychotic positivity. positivity. I think Andrew WK was an early proponent of that. And that was how I was aware of him even more so that I knew he made loud piano driven rock music. Yes. Anyway, yeah. So we should we should dig into it. Yeah. So what? So so and then we deal? should also say, you know, I, as I briefly mentioned before, like after he had existed for about a decade, because I get what was his his big thing, big debut. He like had an EP before that. But, but weirdly, I feel like it really didn't hit until like two thousand five or six. I think it weirdly came out in Europe in two thousand one and America in two thousand two. It had a weird release schedule because mm-hmm, I wasn't really fully aware of it until like a few years after that. Uh, and then he was around for like a decade and then like in uh, the late aughts. So uh, we want to bring this up as a preface and some things, because this is something we both know about him in the late aughts. There became a thing of like, Hey, is Andrew WK a real guy? Yes. Is he like an idea that was created and then somebody cast an actor who plays Andrew WK? Yes. And then it became like immediately so meta where it was like, is Andrew WK raising these questions on his own is like some kind of weird performance art yeah. is the, the quote, Andrew WK is an op theory, an op. Yeah. Uh, and it was never really resolved. Yeah. Nor did I ever see any like really compelling evidence, you know, either way, other than it just like kind of intuitively made sense. Yeah. Well, I think this book in that sense, and we'll, we'll get to it. I think we'll talk about his like career and aesthetic and history first, and then get into the like, is he real? Who is he thing? Mm -hmm. But this book seems to be the most definitive, uh, definition of what that is, or at least exploration of what that whole thing was. Yeah. There's also a stereo. I should shout out. There's a stereo, a very long stereo gum, uh, Exploration. You had me at very long stereo gum. Very long stereo gum, where a guy who is like deep in the matrix, like deep in the you know charts and and strings and everything mm-hmm. on the wall type of thing. Yeah, um, talks about it, which also again is not uh has no definitive answers, but um yeah, it w- we'll get to it. So yeah, just wanted to tease that. Yes, as part of the whole Andrew WK. Keep thing. it in the back of your mind. So with that in your heads. What's Andrew WK's whole deal? What's his deal? Um, the uh, the beginning of this slim tome, uh, <laughs> which is also uh, w- one of my hip hop aliases. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> God, that's actually pretty good. That's very good. Hold on to that one. All right, great. Um, the I should say too that the the writer of this book, Philip Crandall, got to interview Andrew WK himself. Mm-hmm. It's not a it's not a write around. Um, and then he interviewed a shit ton of people in his circle um but yep. an early anecdote he shares that I, I think would set the tone uh he says when andrew uh, wk is asked about his music's meaning he uh shares a parable 
A pianist sits down to his instrument and plays an original piece. When the song is over, a man approaches the pianist and says, tell me about the song and what it means to you. Without saying a word, the pianist simply begins playing the song again. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. mm. mm. I mean, honestly, good answer. Yeah. Um, so this the, the setup of this book is uh, I Get Wet, Andrew W.K.'s debut, it immediately. It, you, so you said he. Wait, it, I'm tr- sorry, not to loop back around. So yeah. Much. Didn't we have another person that we talked about that has that had that same that mantra? parable? Oh. Oh, David Lynch said this recently, uh, being like, "I don't need, <laughs> I don't need to, to to like do interviews about what the movie is about. That's what the movie's for." Just uh, as we talked about earlier today, the best way um, to get to know a movie, I find, is to watch it. Mm-hmm. It's, yes. Right. Uh, we were. We were quoting or i was tweeting about uh travis scott's uh review of the new christopher nolan movie tenet in Mm -hmm. which he said uh i don't even know what to say you literally have to watch it (laughs) and you know what it it, it, it's very fire very fire you you literally have to watch it and honestly to really know what the movie's whole deal is you kind of sometimes movies do be like that you do you do have to watch them to see the film yeah i've i think that's a good way to to know what they're all about, yeah. certainly. Yeah, but um, I, I always like that David Lynch, that David Lynchism of that's what the movie's for. Yeah, well, that's what the mu- you would think that's what the music's for as well. But yeah. here, here is this book though. Um, okay, so Andrew W. K. He was born uh, Andrew Wilkes Creer, mm-hmm. born May 9th, nineteen seventy nine, born in Stanford, California, but he grew up in Ann Arbor. Okay, um, because his parents or his father specifically is an academic. Uh, it's one of the top reasons to live in Amar- Ann University Arbor. of Michigan law professor. Um, St- St- Ann Arbor music culture gets discussed early in the book, uh, including the house that Andrew grew up in. The previous owners of that house had a birthday party for someone, and the people they hired a band to play the birthday par- party, the Iguanas. Who's the who's, front person of the Iguanas? I believe that would be. Ig- Igerson Pop? Ign- Ignatius Pop. <laughs> Ignatius, the, the great uh, Sir Ignatius Popperson. Yes. Popperstein. Uh, the Iguana, Ziggy Pop's band. Yeah. Because he is a lizard man. Because he is truly, uh, in all senses of the word, a lizard a lizard man. Y- yes. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, that's like the musical environment in a way that like Andrew was his stewed. His name is Iguana Pop. But Igu- my friends call me Iggy. <laughs> Not to be confused with Icona Pop. No. Iguana Pop was in a lot of ways the original Icona Pop. Yeah. Um, so he, when he's a kid, he takes piano lessons, which officially makes him that rare, uh, yet somewhat common descriptor of classically trained. Yeah. Okay. Classically trained musician. Um, but he, so Ann Arbor as a kid and a teen, it has a very weird and specific scene that I found fascinating that I hadn't really known about before, which is like a bunch of people like local weirdos doing DIY labels, um, mm-hmm. DIY like distribution, making one-off bands and then like never, you know, making one song and then d- ditching it. And yeah. like, that's the the stew that Andrew was bubbled in. And I think that makes total sense for what he eventually became. Sure. I mean, I assume that comes from the intersection of Detroit's rich musical history and then also like the transience of being a college town. A college town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so for example, like there's a bunch of guys who get interviewed in this book who've worked with Andrew at like random points in their like teenage and young adult life. One of them is Fred Thomas. Um, they worked together at a costume shop. Fred Thomas lived in a punk house and was like totally broke. And he related the story of Andrew meeting Andrew and hanging out with him. And the first time they hung out, 
uh, he gave Andrew a dollar and said, get me as much food as you can with this dollar. <laughs> and Andrew came back. He, uh, Fred thought he'd come back with like a, a candy bar, or like a bag of chips, like something from a vending machine. But no, he came back with a three pound bag of oyster crackers. <laughs> and was like, this is literally the most food I could get you with this dollar. And I feel like that says a lot about like Andrew's brain. <laughs> I mean, I, it sounds a little like those trash roses. Um, the way, the way, uh, the scene was described in this book by Philip Crandall, he said, bands in Ann Arbor could be as short lived as they were incestuous, configured quickly for kicks or conjured hypothetically also for kicks. Yes. So yeah, he, he grew he grows up playing uh, piano, but he's obviously interested in this more like DIY punk rock type of thing. Um, so he does all kinds of shit in this Ann Arbor scene when he's a teenager. He joins a, a two person band called Slam. But the, band name. the official name, is, the official band name is Slam colon a two person band. <laughs> uh, they have a, a song called Ode to Bolga that just goes old Ode to Bolga, Death to Bolga. <laughs> this band sounds good. Um, an early live show was Andrew and his friend um, plugging a keyboard into a PA speaker, taping down all of the keys, turning up the PA to max volume, and then running, like going for a jog, <laughs> and then yes. coming back. Great. And Andrew said, uh, this was so much louder than we thought it would ever be. Like, Jesus' return is supposed to be heralded with the sound you've never heard that you can't describe. <laughs> this sounded like the end of the world. <laughs> That's perfect. That's wonderful. That also reminds me of my one of my favorite live performance anecdotes of the guy, the keyboardist from Cannes, mm. uh, just putting a brick on top of his keyboard and then going to take a smoke break. Nice <laughs> in the middle of in the middle of like twenty minute jams. That's great. Wasn't there also in our Prague episode with Dave Weigel? Uh, I think maybe yes. I don't think that there was a weighted uh, keyboard involved, but mm -hmm. someone definitely either like did coke like hiding behind the piano. Yes, yes, yes. Or ate food. Yes snacks i think maybe we've heard both those things of people eating eating behind their piano and like either just holding <laughs> down one key or something a, a very honestly a very chad move if you are a, a rock and roll keyboardist yeah keyboard is like a table uh because honestly <laughs> rock and roll keyboardists i feel like are are often sidelined and never given like a, mm. yeah, as big as like star credit yeah and so honestly if it's gonna be like that take take the advantages when you can right yeah, I feel that is true. I feel like guitarists, like the improvisation and like the artistry is and so prevalent can, like, move in like the visuals. And shit. Yeah, you're moving around, you're making faces, you're like, yeah. you know, you can do your like little sexy dance, but like you're very much like married to the keyboard and you can do like one thing. Yeah, so I mean, take your take take the take the pros when you have to suffer the cons. Right. Um, Another group Andrew's in, he was in a uh, super distorted bluegrass group called the Rusty Bucket Group. Okay. This is my personal favorite. He started a band called uh, the Portly Boys, and it's Andrew and- Another great band name. And, and quote, a group of overweight inner city youths okay. doing like rap music. Hell yeah. Uh, they had one tape and so sold one tape. Uh, oh, they like literally they <laughs> made a single, single tape. One single cassette tape. So like that's- yeah. Yeah, so all of these things are like more or less jokes. Yeah, yeah. Um, he and so he's also, I think he has a lot in common with um, Bob Pollard from Guided by Voices, who we talked about a couple episodes ago, because he's also doing like all the design, all the like you know tape art design, like the music label design. Like he's like really a, a three hundred sixty degree creator of that he's, stuff. Would it be surprise you to learn that the Portly Boys tape is on YouTube? 
Can we listen to it? Yes. I hope it's not. Let's listen to it. Forty-seven seconds long. I'm gonna just skip in a little bit to see if go ahead. Go ahead. All right, let's. I'll go in another minute and see if there's any. favorite contract for bands which is the song is the same as the band the song which is also the name of the tape yeah honestly not too stylistically incongruous with what he eventually does yeah there's something there um while he's you know he's artistically inclined and he's making these tape covers he does shit like he draws a convincing forgery of a like a very special rare baseball card okay and successfully sells it to an antique shop for 250 bucks and then when he the actual baseball card eventually ended up selling at auction for like over a million dollars i forget who's on it you know some old baseball boy rookie mantle or something Yeah, yeah yeah um but in once the antique shop owner found out that uh the thing was forged his punishment was, uh, you've got to give my son drawing lessons. <laughs> it's good punishment. I think that's the punishment. Uh, I think that's a... It very much fits the crime. That is um, restorative justice. That is. Right? Yes. Uh, also, at the same time that all of this is going on, Andrew's doing shit like contacting Japanese avant-garde musicians okay. and basically saying, like, I would like to release your shit in America on my record label. Okay. Um. One of these uh, people, he they sent like beautiful artwork to turn into like the tape artwork, mm-hmm. and Andrew trashes the original like he like destroys it, which is not very nice. No, that's not very nice. Uh, and then in a later album of that same artist, uh, in the liner notes, he's acknowledged. He it, specifically it says "fuck" and "no thanks" to Andrew Wilkes career. <laughs> fucking no thanks indeed dude fucking no thanks i mean so he's already like at age like 14 and 15 approaching basically everything in life as an art project you could call him an enfant terrible (laughs) maybe but yeah he's yeah exactly life life is an art project Mm -hmm. like music is life is art is there's no yeah and there's no distinction there's no distinction indeed uh it's time to go to college uh which uh, you know his parents are in the academic world but instead of going to college he moves to new york I love this detail is that he uh, goes to the Art Institute of Chicago and he receives an acceptance on immediate decision day. This is a thing that the Art <laughs> Institute of Chicago apparently had. So if you is it just like if you show up that day and they'll interview you and they're like, all right, 
you got to decide right now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I kind of love it. I that's, kind of fuck with wonderful. it. Like, you just, I guess you bring your portfolio. They, like, look I mean, at you and they're like, you're in. But, yeah, it's it's right now. Every, you have to decide. Every top tier liberal, liberal arts college, uh, you know, uh, a top 100 uh, college should have that option where you go in and it's basically 50-50 if you get in that yeah. get in, but you have to decide that day. Yeah. I mean, if you want it, you The thing want about it. that is you can only really go to one. You can really only go to one college But if at you a time. show up there... Yeah. Um, yeah, you should. That's, <laughs> in fact, that's how like Harvard should do their entire uh, registry. Totally. Um, all right. So he moves to New York instead uh, at the, you know, the end of the... Millennium. Interesting time to be yes. in New York. Uh, he starts working at Mondo Kim's, which is a home entertainment store. Yes, Mondo Kim's, the video store. Yeah. Uh, I had the pleasure of going there, I think, at least once before it shut down. Mm-hmm. Interesting thing about Mondo Kim's, there was an int- a, 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 it was one of the most, the largest and most diverse video and DVD libraries mm-hmm. in the world. And there was an interesting article that came out uh, after it closed down because home, you know, streaming killed the the home video star. Mm. Um after it closed down, I believe its entire archives of all these rare videos passed hands into a few collectors and are now um moldering mm. in Sicily of all places. Okay. Uh waiting for somebody to like properly archive them. There was a very interesting article about this if Weird. You, uh, a few years ago if you search Mondo Kim's in Sicily, but of course he worked at Mondo Kim's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just what you uh, do. Uh, when I first moved to New York in 2009, uh, the first month that I moved here, I went to every existent video store in the island of Manhattan and tried to apply for a job. Chris, uh, and was was roundly laughed at uh, yeah. at every place I moved in, especially in 2009, because everybody was like, "Dude, this place is not going to exist <laughs> by time the hiring po- uh, process is over." That is so cute. And at one place, I also uh, was given in having just graduated film school given a written test of film knowledge that I think I answered, that was like maybe 30 questions, and I probably answered one correctly. Oh, my God. It was almost impossible. Well, it's funny. I would imagine that quiz weeds out genial people like you, but mm-hmm. like the person who could actually do well on that should probably not be in customer-facing jobs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you need to be like a wizard in the back who's like answering shit, I mean, but you shouldn't be, you cannot be client-facing. I mean, it probably... uh. It probably um, um, was just given to idiots like me who wandered in off the street being like, it'd be cool to work at a video store to to make them go, to make them fuck off. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, that's so funny. I didn't know you did that. That's very cute. That would that would literally be like if I went to Coyote Ugly and was like, I would like to be a fresh-faced, uh, yet innocent, but also possibly depraved bartender slash dancer and having them be like, get the fuck out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh. Okay, so yeah, he that that's where he's working. He also, in addition to you know, he's playing uh, keyboard slash piano, but he's getting into guitar. Um, Andrew's philosophy on guitar is that he literally does not give a shit about the highest three strings on the guitar. Uh-huh. He just like does not like their sound and vibe. Yeah, sure. He's like anything that I would want to do on those three strings, I can do on the keyboard instead. So uh, sometimes he would literally just remove the strings. Uh, I don't want to overrepresent myself. Uh, I did not actually. I think there was a satellite Kim's. I never got to go to actual Mondo mm. Kim's because it closed down January two thousand nine, and I got here June two thousand nine. Ah, I th- thank you for fact checking yourself. Oh, I d- look. I I don't want to uh, overexert my my video knowledge, but I did go to a lot of video stores. Yeah. Um, but 
the top three sing- strings. That's like that fucking Jad Fair or uh, Jad Fair's brother's essay that I like about being like, it doesn't really matter. It's, you know, my brother puts all the same strings on the guitar because then the, no matter what you play, it all sounds the same. That's really funny. Who, who cares? Make the guitar your bitch. Do whatever you want on it. Make the guitar your bitch. Uh, despite his thirst for, for, you know, playing music and writing music, he has trouble finding bandmates because his taste is just not... Uh, it, it does not work with basically anyone he tries to find. So, <laughs> okay. like, he's putting, you know, he lists, he's looking for band members in the Village Voice. Everyone he interviews is like, get the fuck out of here with, like, your weird piano bullshit, basically. <laughs> yes. he's, like, he liked, like, Billy Joel, which is just, like, not cool to like as, like, a New York rock yeah. musician in the late 90s. Like, that's not yeah. a thing. We, we like the heroin guys from the 70s. Yeah, exactly. Um, so he's basically, like, a solo operator, uh, but he's still trying to like gig around. And one early gig he has is at a, a thing I've referenced or we've talked about before in this podcast and meet me in the bathroom, the Astor Place Starbucks. The Astor, what was the deal? What other Starbucks anywhere in the world has had live performances? This is where Fisher Spooner gigged, right? Uh, they were on the same bill. Uh, when it, Andrew WK was not billed as Andrew WK, and I, weird it was Casey Spooner. I don't think he had found Fisher yet. But... The thing about the Astor Place Starbucks is like at that point in the mid 90s, a Starbucks in this like NY sort of downtown NYU territory is deeply uncool, extremely corporate, like sellout coffee. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And so they were basically trying to like rehabilitate their image on a very local level by letting people program. I can't, I wish I remember the names of the people who were in charge of booking these shows but like it literally was just trying to bring some kind of like local indie cool to like this lame starbucks it's funny that in 78 episodes of this show one of in in the long and storied history of legendary rock music venues the one that has entered like the even been mentioned specifically more than once is the astor place starbucks it's also like the freak folk place too like i think um the moldy peaches Peaches, played shows there but yeah so andrew wk plays a very early show. At this point, he's literally... It's very similar to Fisher Spooner, actually. He he records backing tracks and basically just does karaoke to them because sure. he does not have a band because he <laughs> cannot find people who are willing to play with him. Uh, and at one of these shows that he played, uh, Casey Spooner eventually stripped down to like a pair of tiny red underwear but andrew clocked his outfit that he stripped out of which was an all-white outfit and he was like damn that's such a stunning look and so he basically stole that from casey spooner who was quoted in the and the book is basically being like yeah keep it (laughs) 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 not interested uh uh what a fashion place casey uh spooner truly uh great great look i love the all-white um, I had, I wish I had a pair of white jeans, but it's, a uh, tough to find, uh, uh, uh ju- white jeans in my, in my size that are, uh, you know, <laughs> flattering. Yeah. That's it. That's going to be a, jo- a journey for you. Yeah. A longer journey, but don't give up. No, I, I have my eyes out. Okay. But get a, um, a, uh, eBay alert. eBay alert. Yes. Thing. For, for vintage white, for jeans. vintage white jeans well, in yeah. your size. Well, yeah. Well, men basically didn't, uh, didn't expand to either my height or, or waist size until like 1993. <laughs> uh, so any pair of jeans made before then is both too short and too, too small. Yeah. Oh, um, 
another show Andrew plays during this time is at Gavin Brown's Enterprise. That was like a, a popular mm-hmm. kind of DIY New York artsy thing. Um, and that brought him to Matt Sweeney, who started managing him. And Matt Sweeney had some pretty deep connects in the music industry world. And he would send he sent out uh, Andrew's demos to for attention. And one of these people that he sent to was an old friend named Dave Grohl. Uh, oh, interesting. So he sent Matt Sweeney sent Dave Grohl Andrew WK's uh, demo. Dave Grohl immediately got back to him and he said, "Quote, dude, this is fucking awesome." <laughs> and bas- and sight unseen invited Andrew to open for Foo Fighters in San Francisco. Uh, that rocks. But d- Andrew doesn't even have a band at this point, right? No, he literally did the karaoke thing at at Foo Fighters. At Foo Fighters, that's very funny because yeah. I'm sure the Foo Fighters audience were like, "What the fuck is this? Where?" Where is the drummer? Where's the yeah? Literally, hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we like singing. We like drummers. That's why we're here. Yeah, we're watching the food fighters. <laughs> uh, that's great. Uh, yeah, Grohl. Uh, seems seems like a cool, chill guy. Yeah, See, and down to like help people out and so and contribute to things. Later on, Dave Grohl has been accused of you know basically hiring an actor to play Andrew WK so as he, a front for his own songs. Ah, which this, so he was part of the... He was the, part of the conspiracy, um, but I think that's basically proven to be more or less completely untrue, but who knows? Yeah. We have the possibility. Of I it. mean, I could see, uh, you know, WK seem... I could see how people might come to those conclusions. Yeah. Um. So then he's getting managed. He's He plays a show at Mercury Lounge, which um, an A&R guy from Island Def Jam, Louis Largent uh, comes to see him. He's a, apparently a recent addition to Island uh, and Island is in the process of shedding a lot of rock musicians. Uh, <laughs> okay. But he's still, he's looking for some interesting shit. And he sees him and he's like, wow, this there is something there. And uh, basically, it, it this once again just sounds like one of those stories that's so easy and so simple that it seems fake. But like, Island Def Jam liked him. They offered him a contract and Andrew took it. And that was it. Yep. He was never an indie. I mean, that's. He was never in a band. He was never in a band and he was never in an indie band. He was a major label artist basically as soon as he, as he got any kind of attention at all. Uh, it's crazy how that happens. After, you know, well, you, you know, you can count the years with the Portly Boys and the Funk Bucket or whatever it's called. But he's tw- what, 22 when he gets yeah, signed? He's like a baby. No, 22 when this album comes out. Yeah, he's a, he's a child. So he just like moves moves to New York. I don't even know where's he even recording cuz these songs aren't easy to record. They've especially We'll get into that. Uh I I don't know what his what the Andrew WK demos sound like, but you know, as far as I know for Andrew WK songs, the thing about Andrew WK songs is it's like 300 guitars all playing one note. Yeah. So we'll, we'll speak, speak of the, speak of the demo. Uh, we'll, we'll get into it, but yeah, no, it doesn't that it, that's, I think another reason that the idea that Andrew WK is like not real or that he's, uh, a, a, a you know, industry plan or something mm-hmm. has some credence is because it does seem like the path to being a major label rock star was, greased with uh crisco yeah exactly and i'm sure if you're like those fisher spooner guys who like saw this weird dude with his bizarre party songs playing at the astor place starbucks and you're like what and alone Mm -hmm. with no other people Mm -hmm. around him and are like what's who's this guy's deal and then like six months later it's like major label debut andrew wk well remember who else got a major label deal for like two million dollars fisher spooner (laughs) that's true 
Oh, man, this so is a, the, wi- a wild time. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's the last. The late '90s made all of the people who made rock music before the late '90s go completely nuts. Like yeah. we all remember uh, what happened to Garth Brooks when he decided to be Chris Gaines, <laughs> uh, and then everyone who's getting into music around this time is like kind of trying to run away with the last. What they did not realize was the last of any kind of uh, slush money <laughs> at uh, major labels. Should we listen to the party hard? demo yeah absolutely all right great this is also on utorb <laughs> when it's time to party we will party hard oh my god I mean, even in the demo version, it's there. it sounds like 300 guitars. There, you set you hear what it's gonna basically sound like when they go to the the studio recording. Yeah. I mean I do think Andrew is one of those people who hears the thing in his head and then it's just about like what tool like how the fuck do I get the sound in my head? Versus some people I feel like they get inspired by what is in the real world to make something, but like I think it's all in brain out for him. (laughs) It's also makes sense. Like just thinking about the other bands that like came out of this era. You know, like um, a Jonathan Fire Eater. Mm-hmm. You know, all, all those, all those meet me in the bathroom bands. Who was like skinny uh, feet, mm-hmm. um, NYU boys, like singing songs about uh, you know smoking cigarettes in the dark of Washington Square Park, uh-huh. and and like mysterious women who court their uh, disinterested fancies. Yeah, and then you have this guy. Again, imagine like the few people who might have seen him do play these demos around New York, New York, just screaming about getting a party together and partying hard. Yeah, it is. It is totally incongruous to most of what yeah. uh, is the scene. Yeah, and also, I mean, his influences too. It's just it. It makes total sense is that he likes things like loud and abrasive, but also like mm. major key and inspiring. Yeah. Everything's like a. That's one of the things about his sound is that everything is like aggressively major key. Yeah. Like almost um ag- abrasively major key. Yeah. He almost he takes something that is like very like positive and happy yeah. but makes it uh terrifying. It's like getting your face bashed into the major key. <laughs> like those those yeah, those like yeah. those 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 keyboard hits, those dead 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 it it just feels like him taking the back of your head and smacking it against a piano. Right. It's 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 psychotic positivity. I guess he was uh in uh inspired by the band Sparks, which I had never listened to. Sparks is like a a sort of glam rock yeah. California band from the like 70s, I think. And not a cool I don't think a very cool thing to like 
at the time. Though it is one of those bands that real heads are like, oh yeah, this is one of the best bands ever. And it's another band that everybody keeps telling me that I would love if Sparks? I really got into them. Yeah. Okay. Right. I believe Franz Ferdinand did a whole crossover album with Sparks. Oh, holy shit. Uh, and also the, the other thing you can hear in that demo is like Andrew was definitely into like Japanese black metal yes like that kind of shit and yeah. you can hear that in the like crunchy freakiness of it anyway you you brought up how the fuck do you even record that demo and the answer is very carefully <laughs> <laughs> um, he's literally he records the vocals in a closet in uh, the apartment he's staying at in Williamsburg with his friend and it's lined with like comforters, rubber, acoustic foam. Sure. So you can literally scream your fucking head off and your neighbors won't complain, mm -hmm. which is weirdly conscientious of him because yes. I don't think he seems like that kind of guy yes. to be worried about noise complaints. Yeah. Well, that's the thing that comes through in the albums is that, it, you know, he is designing them to sound like this raucous good time. But you can, I think even the, a lay person, not that I have like special knowledge of recording, but you can, I think even a lay person can hear how like meticulously crafted the yeah. sound is yeah and the other he the for keyboards he's using a roland sc 880 okay which is apparently was purchased because it has a wide array of midi sounds like <laughs> you can do the whole orchestra okay. on one of those great i figured i would drop the the, the the synth name the synth name for you and then the way he recorded them is a program called cakewalk and Cakewalk allowed, um, it basically let you record a track directly over another track. Uh-huh. Um, kind of like proto GarageBand. Okay. But I don't even know if you can do that on GarageBand or if you need a zillion tracks. So he was able to layer, like he would have one track, but like 20 layers on the track. Oh, so it maybe it maybe had like nested track composition or something yeah. like that. I mean, I guess this was in the earlier days of digital audio workstations. Right. So, yeah, he I, it, it was not the programs were not very, I think, customized. Like the idea that this is something that he could do was like yeah, yeah. Spe special to this software. Um, and he said that what, once he saw that the software had the capabilities, it felt like a dream or winning a billion dollars. <laughs> and uh, the, the the mood he's bringing to the demos, he said, I want to create a feeling that's inspiring to people versus impress people. Mm, yeah. Which I think is. Yeah, know, that, that goes through. Um, so he he records these demos. Uh, he's got the major label signing. It's time to record uh, I Get Wet for realsies. Um, so they send him to L.A. to a producer called Scott Humphrey. The main thing that Scott hum Humphrey is known for is Rob Zombie. Okay, Which yes, is like, that's sure. dope. Um, I do have to say, I saw, because it's just been rattling around in my head, mm -hmm. a tweet the other day um, where somebody had, had crocheted onto one of those little circular things that you crochet into mm -hmm. the phrase... Um, live through the ditches, laugh by the witches, and love in the back of my Dragula. I don't think I'll ever stop thinking about that. Yeah. Do you, I mean, do you want it? Do you want to buy it? If it's for sale. I would buy that. Yeah. I bet you could commission. All, all, all needlepoint girls, you can generally commission them. I should find that tweet and, and ask for a commission. Yeah. It, so he, he's got this Rob Zombie producer, um, and Scott Humphrey says he ha uh, Andrew had the worst demo itis of ever anyone I've ever met in any of my thirty plus years of making <laughs> records. What is demo itis? Demo itis is being like we let's listen to the demo again, or like yeah. no, can we make this more like the demo? And uh, so Scott Humphrey heard these demos and is like, you know, th it's so consistently loud that we need to like give people people's ears a break like let me show you what like dynamic <laughs> sure, sure, changes sure. are and like i think he was somewhat avail available for that but also like 
he was eventually he was proven right. The demos were good and everything he wanted in the eventual album like was there in the demos. I mean, that's what makes the music sound like the music music. And mm-hmm. again, it's like deceptively simple. Okay, so now we got to go to the, the the main album. Yeah, let's listen. I want to listen to the same party hard. Band. Yeah, because it's like deceptively simple music that is like big and dumb and raucous. But mm-hmm. I really think that it is possible to hear in this how like meticulously managed every sound is. Yes. To make it exactly like this sound. Yes. When it's time to party, we will party hard. It's still got that same crunch. Yeah. It's just finesse. Yes. Those drums are also totally insane. Yeah. So the thing that I think you can hear is that there are like. 40 guitar plot tracks all playing the same simple riff but you can hear every one of the 40 guitar tracks in there yes it is it's like the actual like riffs and shit are like you know stupid power rock anthem stuff but it's like hearing an entire orchestra playing you know, a Ramon song or something. Uh-huh, yeah. Well, the symphonies for the, the kids. Yeah, and also you are right. That, that the, uh, I, it's, it's, I've rarely heard a more uh, insistent drum, drumming. It's just a lot. Yeah. I mean, listening to this song does feel like getting beat up by the song. Yeah, and exactly what he was on. And so, I should note, the way we ended up with this as the song is not technically because of Scott Humphrey. They eventually got frustrated in L.A., which, by the way, they had to move mid-recording to Aspen because Scott Humphrey had a vacation plan. <laughs> he, and it was like, listen, guys, like I have worked basically every fucking day for like seven years straight. I'm going to Aspen. I, and I'm mu- really, I simply must. And I'm really excited about you, um, but dear God, uh, I need I need a break. So like, I'll ski in the mornings and we'll record at night. But you need to come to Aspen. But like, I don't think he was really about that life. They just got he got too lost in the sauce of like, you know, with Scott Humphrey, he would they would teach a bass player to like play something, and it would take like a day to get the bass sound right. Yeah. And Andrew's like, I think I can get the bass sound right if I just like play it myself and I know what I like. And so they eventually they they took that project does, away. I mean, Andrew WK does clearly state he does what he likes and he likes what he, he likes what he he do. do. Uh, they took they took the project away from Scott Humphrey and um, brought it to another producer um, whose name I didn't note. Uh, sorry, <laughs> uh, d- but another guy. Uh, back in New York and they finally figure out how to like transition that cakewalk composition to Pro Tools. Okay. And then Andrew's happy with it. Um, <laughs> and the president, the eventual president of uh, Ireland, Julie Greenwald said when they listened to this album, they said the whole building was like, oh my God, this is going to be the biggest thing in the world. <laughs> and this is, again, this is like the year 2000. Like we're a little bit pre, we're pre 9-11, we're pre dot com crash. Like, 
there's no reason not to think that, like, I guess Andrew WK could be like a huge rock star. Yes. Like a pop, like number one pop hit rock star. Yes. I get that. Especially if you listen to these songs, you're like, because they kind of sound like something else. But I think that their fatal miscalculation is that it's, well, even when like the Mimi in the Bathroom stuff broke, yeah. it was always indie. Yeah. Rock music was very sad and angry at this time. Yeah, and you you know by by the time yeah it was it was Woodstock '99 shit, which was yeah. not yes. Andrew WK's vibe. And that's why this album kind of comes off as a novelty album or something. Yes, and that's why people immediately questioned its sincerity, right? And started being like, "Is he doing? The, is this an ironic thing?" Um, there's well, a writer. Like, I just want to play one more just to like really hammer in what this album sounds okay. like. This is "I Get Wet." Good choice. I assume those are the those are orchestral midis from the SC80. Yeah, honestly, yeah, I think so. I mean, you can imagine this like what you can imagine is like playing at sports games, specifically yeah. hockey games. commented that those like this song has one note in it. It basically he's singing one note the entire time. Which rocks. Except when he says I really don't care, he goes down one <laughs> one other note. It's wild. Uh, um that was I get wet off the, of I get wet. <laughs> as we're reading the book. I get wet. I get wet. Um uh Philip Crandall in this book he quotes uh Christopher Weingarten who in something called Inc 19 Inc 19 magazine participated in an Andrew WK debate. This is like uh, a few years, a handful of years after I Get White came out. And the way it would describe, he said, if he's indeed being ironic, should he be reviled for being a gimmicky jape or revered for being a brilliant appropriation artist? Appropriation artist, if mm-hmm. anyone's listening to her other podcast. Uh, if he is indeed as serious as he says, should he be lauded for creating visceral body music or derided for cock rock arrogance? And I'm like... It seems a lot of hand wringing for yeah. uh, either you like it or you don't. It's also like listen to the song again. the The pianist simply starts replaying the song. That's the thing. I think the, we talk about chaos rooms. <laughs> this is a cultural chaos. I think Andrew WK might be a cultural chaos room. It might be, yeah. Because if you think about him too hard, you go crazy. Yes. You have to take him at face value. Uh, the Andrew WK song I Love NYC is apparently frequently played at Rangers games. Did you just look that up? It's just in the in the uh, Wikipedia article for the album. Did did I not just say? Hockey music. Did I? <laughs> not, you just said yeah. it was hockey music. Oh, wow. 
See, yeah. I, I'm glad that despite not being a hockey fan, I have intuitive understanding of what music gets played at hockey. Well, that's also stadium. New York hockey music. Yeah. They're not playing that at a, oh God, <laughs> Penguins games. <laughs> I'm like, what is literally another mm-hmm. team? Right. Uh, so, okay. That, yeah, the, the, the argument to me about like irony versus sincerity, I'm just like, I really don't care. I really don't care. I really I re- don't care. Let, let, me, let me shout, I really don't care. 40 times in a row in a song. If you think, if you hear that music and you're like, this guy is taking the piss, it's probably not for you. Yeah. Here's a thing. Irony is a little bit like pornography Mm -hmm. where it's like, you really know it when you hear it, you know? Yeah. And if you have to really think for a while, if it's ironic, you know, you're, you're probably overthinking it. Yeah. I think I also just have a personal ethos where I'm like, even if someone is making something ironically, I'm like, too bad yeah. like if you are making something making something is never ironic yeah, because yeah. you are yeah, making you made, the you effort made you, you made it dude uh son you played yourself yeah <laughs> congratulations that that's just my personal irony ethos because yeah. i get i get bored when i talk too much <laughs> about it i'm just like no whatever fuck it um so yes they have this this the album that they think is going to be the biggest thing in the world. They build a band for Andrew. Finally, he gets his bandmates. Uh, incredibly, it is noted in one of the, the bandmates was interviewed. He said, yeah, they sent us to Tampa to, <laughs> I don't know why they sent them to Tampa. They sent us it's to like Tampa tra- to learn like the, the music. Tra- it's like training for a baseball team. <laughs> right, right. Well, they said they sent them to Tampa to learn the music, which they did in like four days. And then they were there for eight months on salary. Before Andrew ever came down. I'm like, what were they doing? Again, there's more music industry weirdness. Major label just going to the, insanity. Just going to the Dali Museum every weekend because there's nothing better to do in Tampa. <laughs> um, an- another sign of how, you know, the the power of major labels at the time is like Andrew plays SNL. Like, that, right. that was the kind of thing that you did. That but again, happened. like it... But you also kind of get like you see this guy play SNL and you're like, okay, because the major label is trying to promote him and they really think that they have a hit album here. Mm. But then you see this guy doing this music on SNL for the first time and you're like, what is this? What am I? Am I supposed to know this from something? Yeah. Is this a joke? Yes. So, yeah, it it comes out. uh, Apparently, it went to number one on Billboard's Heat Seekers chart. Which is not the same thing. Yeah, I, we, as, need, we should get a billboard guy in here to explain all the different how the fucking charts work. I think he, I think we'd have to pay them. I, th- I think bill, I think the billboard. No, uh, I mean like somebody who like knows the bill the billboard. I think you have to pay them. <laughs> I think it's one of those things where it's like if you are an expert, if you know the charts, you don't give out that information for free. Okay, fine. <laughs> uh, you get the billboard pro subscription. Uh, it so yeah, it, it comes number one on the heat seekers, but like is not a smash hit by any means yeah it's like destined to be cult yeah album. um but he still he he gets a fandom whose relationships he basically cultivates in a way that i think is kind of prescient for parasocial relationships yes because it's pre obviously like it's pre-social media it's pre god you know fucking twitch streaming or whatever yeah. but like Andrew maybe WK, myspace is launched in like two years yeah, around that time, yeah. I guess. Maybe like, you know, there forums. Like he yeah. he's cult- we'll talk about this in just a sec of cultivating interest in fan forums. But he, you know, he basically the people who like his music, he will talk to them, mm-hmm. like call them on the phone. Apparently multiple fans have witnessed Andrew sign uh the data side of I get wet, run onto the bus and then grab them f- 17 bucks for a replacement CD. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, bro. <laughs> Um, okay, so at this point, we have to talk about the fact that uh, 
is Andrew WK, Andrew WK. Yes. Who is this guy? Because around, at this point in the book, with the release of the album, uh, a secondary character is brought up named Steve Mike. S-T-E-E-V, Mike. Okay. Um, Steve Mike is referenced as the executive producer of I Get Wet. Okay. Um, I mean, it does immediately sound like a fake name. Totally. Um, And at this point in the book, Philip Crandall basically, he's compiling this information more in oral history fashion. Mm -hmm. Like it's just kind of like glibs and globs of quotes. Yeah. Um, Steve Mike is also batted around as his potential name his his rock name okay. instead of Andrew WK. Okay. Because, you know, he's had like 20 bands at this point. So it's not just like Andrew WK. Like the, I mean, Andrew WK is a good rock name. Mm-hmm. It is. But also he's like, well, AWK, that's like awk, which is yeah, weird. Yeah, sure, fine. So Steve Mike might be the name. At one point, literally, the the uh, CEO of Warner, Lior Cohen, uh, comes into a room and is like, I don't know about that name, Andrew. Like, I don't know if Steve Mike is the one. Like, he has talk to the top brass at Warner uh, saying like, I will be releasing this album as Steve Mike. Mm-hmm. So like that's, that's the background. Um, the writers also, he digs up these old fan websites uh, and one of the fan websites shares an anecdote from an anonymous high school friend of Andrew. This is what okay. he says. Uh, they're in acting class uh-huh. one day and Andrew goes up uh, at the end of acting class and they're talking about what they, everyone's goals are for their lives. And Andrew says, I want to craft my own non-existence. First, I'm going to make myself undeniably exist as a recognizable and identifiable form. And then I'm going to spend the rest of my life working to eliminate it and prove that its existence was an impossible illusion all along. But because people have already seen it, they will experience the sensation equal to maximum pleasure. Oh boy. Wow. I'm that, that's, that's opening a lot of doors in my head. Yeah. Um, he then like the narrative starts to break down. Um, a few years later in London, Andrew is on stage and he's saying that he auditioned to become Andrew WK. That he w- so he's like saying this during shows. During a okay. show, he's like, yeah, um, Andrew WK was a role that I auditioned and was cast in. Um, he also Steve Mike returns to the fan forum. And he uh, floods the public with cryptic, hostile, blackmail-like information about Andrew's past. Yes, because this was the other thing that there w- that was part of this was always like threatening. There was before like getting canceled was a thing. There yeah. was always like the weird threat that like Andrew WK like had some like dirt in the yeah background. some darkness yeah and so that's literally Steve Mike Quote on a forum Steve Mike. so somebody posting under the name Steve Steve Mike. Mike being like I have this information like he he needs to like give me the credit that like I'm due like he's like basically yeah I was like did somebody else write the album like mm-hmm. is Andrew WK like the, the person named Andrew WK actually yeah. the performer but somebody else wrote the album yeah. or something like that then then there was a show in New Jersey where um lots of people were basically clocked him and were like that's not him. Yes. And then there were people that were all these rumors that they were seeing other people, other versions of uh, Andrew WK. Yeah. That was like a guy who, as if you would cast somebody to play multiple roles. Yeah. Um, and it's quoted in the book, like alternately Andrew WK will be like, no, no, no. Steve Mike is just, you know, don't, don't believe anything he says. Like he's not, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't know what he's talking but about. But talking it about, it's a person who exists, even though the first introduction of this is just as a possible stage name. As a stage name. And then there's other times where he's like, you know, 
there there's no such thing as Steve Mike. Like that's just like a bit. Like he's kind of playing both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and back in 2010, this is like t- 10 years after the release of I Get Wet. He says he's going to basically have like a an online live stream where he will address once and for all these concerns. And he instead uh, ended up talking about the movie Couples Retreat. <laughs> Which I in, believe is a is that a John Favreau joint? Is it Vince Vaughn and yeah. Jennifer Aniston? I don't know. No, never mind. That's a that's a Billingsley joint. Okay. <laughs> bill, yeah, shout out <laughs> to shout out Peter B- Billingsley. Peter Billingsley. But I do remember that movie. Yeah, that that does have um uh, my doppelganger, um Vince Vaughn. And then worth also noting, which Philip Crandall notes in the book, is that you know, in addition to all this like stuff on the fan forums where we don't know who's fucking posting. Like, it, mm-hmm. it's very well could be Andrew WK posting as multiple people. That's not the first time this has happened. Yeah, sure, of course. Um, friend of the pod, former guest Kevin Sweeting, who I went to college with, uh, used to run, he ran a uh, unofficial blog that was, like, adjacent to but better than, it was, like, the gawker to the Skidmore News' uh, New York Times. Like, it was, mm-hmm. like, the, like, fun and sexy blog. Oh, yeah, and he yeah. also ran a forum um alongside it called uh oh it's like skidmore anonymous confession board sure yes and yes, he yes. said he's like yeah i he posted this at, at, on a post when he finally shut it down because it just got out of control he's like yeah it's been weird seeing people make uh, accounts and argue with themselves <laughs> like that is a thing that he happens could see all the- he can see the back end and it's like people with the same email address, address making creates multiple sock puppets and puppets sock and then- puppets and start drama that's real. That, that shit is real. Is real. That, is, that is real. And that's, it's very early 2000s. I, I gotta think about how many, you know, I, it's, I'm surprising that more bigger scale people haven't been outed doing this. I know. I mean, we've had things like, do you remember Chindao from earlier this year? No. You do, do you remember I? this. Uh, that, that the Nigerian Pete Buttigieg fan. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Uh, who, totally. Who you know, tweeted only about uh, Bitcoin exchanges until like two months previously mm-hmm. and then talked only about how much he loved Pete Buttigieg's advisor, Liz Smith, for three months yes. until somebody was like, hey, are you real? And then s- disappeared forever. Yeah. yeah. And there's that a, was a good story. There's also the uh, y- Fun people are always primary. people are always tweeting as their wives, their fake wives that don't exist too. Uh, I baby, I will never tweet as as my wife. No, we'll we'll figure out some fun kind of wife drama to have. Yeah, we'll, we'll fall off a cliff. Yes. So it's also important to note that you know, in addition to all the stuff online, uh, in the liner notes of Andrew's albums, they're full of fake names, altered names, nicknames of people and places. Uh, for example, there's a guy, um, Mark Morgan, which is Andrew's former roommate and a musician. Uh, he was credited on I Get Wet as additional guitar Chuck Morgan. And Mark Morgan was quoted in this book as saying, yeah, my middle name is Charles, but I've never gone by Chuck in my life. And I didn't do shit on that record. I didn't play a fucking thing. <laughs> so you have Andrew crediting him for additional guitar. Under a name that he's never under, used. Under a name that he's never used. So there's identity fuckery at play here. Yes. Um, and then the most telling thing is that one guy asked Philip Crandall, he said, um, Andrew is capable of so much crazy stuff that I honestly didn't even know for a fact if Andrew didn't hire you himself to create this book and get all this information out of people. I mean, this is always what I kind of concluded about this whole like mystery mm-hmm. is that it it's all just originating from from Andrew WK yes. wanting to make everything a big crazy Andrew WK art project. Yes. 
Yeah, and I, I, think, th- that I that think that's is, fair. It's, I think that's the most straightforward conclusion from all of this. And it honestly, it makes... And it's, I, I think it's, it's probably a reinforcing from pe- what people's response to his art is of mm-hmm. being like, you can't be serious about this, dude. And then him, him being like, I don't know, am I? Like that, yeah. if, if somebody, if you're making, especially if the music that you want to make sounds like that mm-hmm. and that's your whole vibe and people are like, are you serious about this? Mm-hmm. The most interesting possible rea- re- like reaction to that question is to just ask it back to them. Yeah. You know, yeah. are you serious? Right. Well, and it's funny because like he could, to me, I think the music he makes and the image he has and especially everything he's done since with like motivational speaking, yada, yada. I think that's interesting enough on its own. Mm-hmm. This just adds a whole nother layer that I'm still like, I think the music is totally serious. I think the way he's always talked about yeah. music is dead serious. Yeah. He wants to create this feel, you know, the the sound of God or arri- Jesus arriving, the biggest sound in the world. Like he's interested in like the way that music makes you feel. Right. But then he also has this weird prankish side. I mean, remember he forged that baseball card. Yeah. Like he's interested in messing with reality in a way that I think is funny i think if you take it too seriously it's kind of like oh well, yeah it goes, jokes back, on you. it goes back to that that chaos rune thing mm-hmm. yeah i guess what, I, what i'm trying to say is like if you make straightforward sincere music about loving to party that is that are just like these huge you know uh like overpoweringly produced straightforward rock anth- anthems and the response it elicits out of out of people is like this confuses and irritates me that yeah you have to be like let's 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 go there dude yeah. Let's keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, so that's basically it. The the writer does not say, um, you know, definitively whether he thinks that Andrew WK is, is an op or whatever. But I think the the details kind of speak for themselves is that this is a guy who has grown up kind of living his art and thinking it is funny to play with the idea of like who you are and mm-hmm. what you represent to people. Yeah. Down to and he just like takes that happened to take that joke like international yes <laughs> which is cool i think it's fun it's, yeah he's all he's always had a foot in the art world like he came up at a time when like music was cool in new york because it was kind of associated with more of an art scene than a music scene yeah and it's also like even in that that fluid ann arbor thing mm-hmm. where like the idea of even forming a band is like you can like the idea of you can form a band as a joke yeah you know, is is an interesting thing to internalize at an early age. Yeah, right. It's a, don't, why why so serious? Uh, also, like the other thing I wanted to br- bring up is that he, I remember he hosted a Nickelodeon show mm-hmm. for a while called I believe it was called Build Destroy Build or Destroy Build Destroy, where okay. you like got a team of kids to like wreck like a car or a bunch of TVs and then like build a robot out of the wreckage and then they blew up the robot they built. Cool. And that was like the whole concept of the show. They did that every episode. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a different thing that was destroyed and a different challenge to like mm. build out of the destroy wow. thing. I never actually watch it. Here's a pitch. Andrew WK was one of the original influencers. Yeah, sure. Maybe maybe more so than a, a, a musician. He certainly influenced something. <laughs> I mean, he was one of those, The again, like, you, I know this came out in 2001, but it, it felt very, or, or I get wet, his, his, his seminal debut. Uh, mm. it felt very of that kind of like uh, a, a almost apocalyptic partying uh vibe of the late aughts. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, Rip Santos Party House. Yeah, I never went. Alas, I uh, I definitely went a few times. I believe I saw uh, Tim Heidecker perform music there once, and then cool. I went to a bunch of like discos. Sh- cool. Shout out Tim. Uh, it was a cool venue. 
largest disco ball I've ever seen. Wow. Um, the Just a few other things to note is that near the end of the book, um, Philip Crandall kind of gets like, Phyllis, like he's, he starts pulling in like a philosophical component, which mm-hmm. I guess, you know, only makes sense that, you know, he came out of an academic town. But he asked, um, he, he basically asked for like a, a philosophical analysis of the idea of partying from uh, one of Andrew's old uh, music, music buddies who's now an academic. And this guy said, uh, well, you know, uh, party, of course, comes from old French parti, which is a separation or division. To party is to separate one's group from the non-partying group. Andrew's goal of a universal party is self-contradictory. <laughs> you can't party without a partition, and you can't partition without leaving somebody out. Oh, damn. I'm going to be thinking about that for a while. Think about that. The idea of you want you want everyone to party, but you can't have a party if With everyone is partying. partying. It's true. You have to have, your group has to be having more fun than another group. Yeah. That is in the essential nature of a party. Yeah. I never really thought about it that way before. Oh, fuck. How do, I mean, because I also I, I also feel like I, I the idea of the universal party uh, resonates with me. Yeah. But you got to be a party against something. Yeah. You can't, you can't be a party in, in and of itself. There's got to be an opposition. The other thing I wanted to share that I think you would like near the end of the book, um, one of his collaborators, Spencer Sweeney, says, just talking more about like the overall ethos of Andrew W.K. as a musician, he said, we were trying to come up with a definition of magic one time. What I was able to come up with at that point is it's possibility. The gray area is the uh, area of unlimited possibility and possibility is the true magic. And possibility is also the party. Yeah. Party as magic ritual. Well, that's the thing. I know your your definition of magic is a, a ritual. Other way around. No. Um, intention. Intention, ritual, ritual, reality, reality, and the ritual as the party. Yeah, if the, the attention is, the party. is to party. Yeah, and the ritual is the party. Well, then the I reality think you set is an, an intention. Partying. And that, well, that's true. You just collapse all those things. You can set an intention and through the uh, ritual of partying, uh, try to achieve it or project it into the world. Sure, but I think the you know to the magic to Andrew is like. Who am I? Like, yes, I am. I am the. He's the living body. He is a party god. Yeah. <laughs> He is, he is like a, a gr- aggression embodiment of of like what a god of partying is, like a Dionysus or something. Mm. But in that same Greek way where the, uh, you know, the gods are both these embodiments of ideals, but also like scary beings with their own will in something. I think that that applies to Andrew W.K. in that if there was a, a living embodiment of the idea of partying, it would be a little aggressive and unknowable and confusing and and Mm -hmm. in in its own way in that it can't be like known or understood scary Mm -hmm. in some ways because i think that some of that mystery stuff is is about being like this person is so like seemingly straightforward yeah about their intentions and and like desires and and uh, uh musical interests and styles that it becomes like confusing and in that confusion Mm -hmm. Scary. Yes. And that's scary, mysterious. Yes. And talk about the self-contradiction of wanting the whole world to be a party, but it can't be. Mm-hmm. Andrew is also, as the party god, the party conduit, he wants that. That is straightforward. But in fucking up the notion of his own identity, he is also separating himself from his party. Yes. There's like a, a interesting dialectical engine, <laughs> both proposed and seemingly resolved yeah. by the presence of Andrew W. Kim. Yeah. Schrodinger's party. Yeah. 
He, Andrew, he is, Andrew is both always partying and never partying. He is he is like a, what is it? What does Nick in Great Gatsby say? Both within and without? Both within and without. Yeah. Oh, that's that's Midwestern for you. But wait, is Michigan Midwestern? Yeah. Okay. That's solidly Midwestern. Okay. That's not like Lake? I mean, Great Lakes Midwestern. I, I consider everything Whom west, care? Uh, west of Pennsylvania, east of the Nebraska, yeah. Midwest. Cool. Um, that's, that's Andrew, WK. I know that's not the, you know, exhaustive... And I'll be all of Andrew, but that's Andrew through, yeah, through and then the of lens course, of I Get Wet. It, it really is just up to that first album. He's produced four or five albums since then. But it, it, the phenomenon of Andrew WK never really topped his like aughts, aughts popularity. Yeah, he came, he, who he was at, at that first outset is kind of the l- lingering impression. Yeah. I mean, should we listen to one from his most recent al- album? Sure. Just to see if anything has changed? Yeah. This one is called, this is off You're Not Alone, and it's called Something I Love Thinking About, Mindsets, Party Mindset. Hell yeah. sounds of a piece. This sounds like it, it could basically be on the first album. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a monolith, the yeah. Andrew WK aesthetic. Um, I like this, like, Andrew, or not, uh, this Elton John vocal delivery. Yeah. It's also sort of David Johansson. That's the thing. You can't feel good all the time. It's impossible. You have to pay at some point. Yes. Unless you're Andrew WK, I guess. Maybe he, maybe he feels good all the time. I'll say, I mean, that's the thing. When I interviewed him for that thing, he seemed like a guy playing a character. But his character, but he was playing the character of pure, unending, straightforward sincerity. Yeah. It's weird. Oh, There's a very contra- weird. It's a contradiction. Very weird. But also, you know what? Party mindset all year round. I don't know if you've seen uh, the world lately. Is it healthy to have party mindset all year round? Maybe not, but is it I think necessary? It, it, it kind of feels right, actually. I think you have to have party mindset all year round, even if you don't have a barbecue or a beach. Party mindset all year round. You have to bring, you have to be the, we can't go to the party right now. You have to be the party. Yes. Oh man! Should we move confidently into the end part of this episode? Yeah. How are we how are we doing on time? Are we reaching your ideal time? Uh, we 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 blew past my ideal time, but wow. I think we're we're still in the pocket of okay. a of a shorter episode. Okay. 
Um, ideal time, of course, for a podcast being one hour and nine minutes long. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, thanks for listening. It's been uh, this has been a one that, as we mentioned, we've gotten a few requests on. Yes, and it is uh, good to take requests. Uh, along the lines of taking requests, uh, email us at mm-hmm. uh, andintroducingpod at gmail.com. If mm-hmm. you email uh, just once, we will respond. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you email a request, I mean, the timeline is basically infinite, but on that infinite timeline, we will do your requested artist. Yes. It's just a matter of when. Yes. Uh, you can uh, tweet at us uh, at andintropod mm-hmm. or tweet at me at say what again or Molly. At Miss Molly Mary. Uh, consistently underrated, but still get, getting up I there. I think I'm rated. Well, as you get more followers, your tweets just get better and better. Oh, thanks, babe. Uh, and where, where else? Oh, you can follow us, of course, on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash and party. Da- <laughs> Damn it. And <laughs> party. <laughs> Sorry, I, fuck, I, I fucked you up. And dash intro dash. pod. Uh, <laughs> you can rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, I don't know. I haven't checked our reviews on iTunes lately. Uh, I assume they're good, but not nearly as good as they can be. Go start a party in the iTunes comments. Yeah, party. Uh, you can find us on YouTube. Mm. YouTube.com slash and introducing podcast. Podcast, yeah. Where we'll be putting up clips. Hippies. Uh, and eventually, like, um, we'll, we'll put any of the Twitch streams that we do. We'll mm-hmm. put them over over there as well. Yeah, we'll get copyrighted a bunch, and then we'll get kicked right off YouTube. Yeah, that's no. fine. Well, we're not trying to make money on Whatever, YouTube, so yeah. who cares about the copyright? Who cares? Uh, who cares? Um, we, start, we started another podcast also. Oh, yeah, we're doing another podcast. It's about Infinite Jest. You can find it at soundcloud.com slash infinitecast or wherever you download podcasts. Is it infinite-cast? Yeah, it is infinite-cast. Soundcloud.com slash infinite-cast. I'm reading uh, Infinite Jest to Chris on air. The read, so it's think of it as a very postmodern audiobook. Uh, and I realized before when I was referencing appropriation artists that that episode won't come out before this one will. But if you listen to this podcast and then you listen to Infinite Cast, you'll eventually hear that connection made. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> any more business? I don't think so. No. Uh, I think that's about it. That's it. Um, let's have a party, and we'll party till we party, and we'll party then we party, and the party won't stop. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye.